0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Love Ministries podcast. In the last podcast, the focus was on being the apple of his eye, really dwelling on just how precious we are to the Lord. I imagine how precious Jesus is to the Father as well, the apple of his eye. One of the greatest statements that the Father made to Jesus that we know of is at his baptism, and then he says it again at the Transfiguration on the mountain, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And I hope all of you are able to hear the Lord say that to you, even right now, even today. You are my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. For I love you, even as I love Jesus. In the first Loved to Love weekend series materials, We talk about this verse at Jesus' baptism, where God spoke these words to him. It wasn't just a sentence that spoke loving words to Jesus' heart, but the fact that it's made up of three parts, and those three parts are fragments from Old Testament scriptures that ultimately tell Jesus not only that he's loved, but who he is to the Father, that he is his son, unique, miracle-born son, He's also the promised Messiah. And then the third part, when he says, with whom I am well pleased, comes from Isaiah 42.1, where he says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. So in the baptism, Jesus is specifically loved with amazing words, but words that are scripture words, but words that tell him who he is, Son, Messiah, And the suffering servant, well, why is that significant and why do I want to focus on that for a moment today? On Sunday, this past Sunday, you would have hopefully had some sort of fun time, honestly, celebrating Palm Sunday. And the primary focus of Palm Sunday is the fact that Jesus was coming into the city as king. People are excited about him as being the fulfillment of the long-awaited king and that perhaps his riding into Jerusalem was the preparation for, and soon to be, king again over Israel, king over Rome and all other nations, enemies, that Jesus would be king, the promised Messiah in the line of David. And that's where all the excitement is. And you can only imagine the joy, the party atmosphere, the the craziness, you know, like a ticker tape parade and. In New York, when soldiers came home after World War II or things like that, some of those pictures you saw, I just can't imagine the excitement and the frenzy over Jesus coming in as the possible king, the one that had been promised for so long. Well, we already know the story, don't we? From Sunday to Saturday, things take an incredibly crazy turn. From what is often referred to as the triumphal entry to crucifixion to Saturday he's gone. He's gone. He's, he's dead. He's buried. He's gone. From the disciples' perspective, that first Easter Saturday had to be one of the most difficult emotional moments for a human being, honestly, that I can think of. Imagine that first Easter Saturday, and especially in light of what had just happened only five days before, Imagine the disciples. Remember, Peter says to Jesus in Matthew 16, he says, You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, You didn't even get this on your own. The Father had to reveal it to him. They know that he's the Son, and they know he's the Messiah. Those two parts from that statement that God spoke to Jesus. Yes, Son, Messiah. And now they're seeing it almost accomplished, almost fulfilled right before their eyes, And then days later, he's horribly, horribly beaten, suffers, tortured, dies on a cross. You know, so many times we forget it's not just that Jesus died, but that he died horrifically and he suffered horribly before he even died. And now it's Saturday. Imagine waking up the first Easter Saturday. What just happened? How could this be? How could we have been so wrong or how could this turn out like this? And I thought how many of us have had moments like this where we know we're sons and daughters of the living God. We know that we're going to reign with Jesus in his kingdom and it's going to be amazing. And then life, though, doesn't exactly play out that way for us. How many of us have had that Easter Saturday moment and wondered, how did this happen? How did I get here? How can I be a son and be a part of his kingdom and be going through this kind of experience? Maybe you're in one of those moments even right now. And Lord, I pray that you'd be very close to whoever's listening and in that place at this moment. That's the disciple's perspective. But what about God and Jesus' perspective? See, from their point of view, yes, Jesus knew that he was son. Yes, Jesus knew that he was Messiah, but he knew that in that time he was there for the third role. He was ultimately there to be the suffering servant, which if you'll remember, we find out in Isaiah 53, which Jesus would have known well, and he knew that he was the suffering servant. God had told him, you are the suffering servant. He would know this passage so, so well. Today, actually this morning as I was reviewing this, I did it first person and Wow, did it impact me. So I want to do that for you even right now. Listen to Jesus speak through Isaiah 53, 4 to 7. Surely I took up your pain and bore your suffering. And yet people considered me punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But I was pierced for your transgressions. I was crushed for your iniquities And the punishment that brought you peace was on me, and by my wounds you were healed. See, you all like sheep, you had gone astray, each of you had turned to your own way. But the Lord laid on me your iniquity. I was oppressed and afflicted, yet I did not open my mouth. I was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so I did not open my mouth. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But here's what I'm trying to help you understand. Jesus knew that he was a son. He knew he was the Messiah, the coming and reigning King and would be forever King. And that there would be a kingdom that would be so awesome. But at this point, his purpose was to be that third role, the suffering servant, which here, the servant, initially the servant most often was thought of as Israel. But somewhere through the Isaiah passages, you start realizing that it's not Israel. It's about a person. And especially here, specifically, it's about a person suffering for the sake of others. Well, in Revelation thirteen eight, it says the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. If you remember in John's Gospel, the very first time John the Baptist sees Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, there's the Son of God, oh, there's the Messiah, oh, there's a prophet. The first words out of John's mouth publicly about Jesus was, behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the next day, he says again, behold, the Lamb of God. Twice, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, I don't know what John's revelation was, but that sets the stage of the gospel that John knew that Jesus was the Lamb. And then we're told in Revelation that he was the Lamb from the creation of the world. Now, I can't prove this, but in my heart, just trying to meditate and listen to the Lord was the sense that the triune God... From creation, when they knew they were going to create us and knew where this was going to go, one of them not only decided he would become human forever on our behalf to reveal God to us, but he knew that becoming human was also to become the Lamb, the Lamb who would take away our sins. And you see, for Jesus then, from his perspective, the crucifixion was totally according to plan. In fact, in Mark's gospel, three times, 831 says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. You know, it wasn't until I was reviewing this that it said he actually taught them. This wasn't like some passing statement. Somehow it says he taught them. In 931 says very similar words. Jesus told them. This is how it's going to end, guys. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed, but on three days, I'm going to rise again. You see, from Jesus' perspective, the week went exactly the way it was supposed to go. Even given his prayer in Gethsemane, he knows where it's going. That's why he'd say, Father, with you, everything is possible. Can we do it a different way? But he knows where it's going. He's not surprised. He already told them ahead of time, and it seems that even from the creation of the world, he knew he was going to be the Lamb. He was going to come and suffer on our behalf. Well, here's one of the coolest things to me. I was doing a word search on the lamb. I meant to recount again. I can't remember the exact number. I know it's in the 20s. The word lamb, Jesus referred to as the lamb in Revelation occurs 20-something times. He's the lamb. The first time is in Revelation 5-6. When John sees Jesus, remember John sees Jesus first, You know, he's glowing and in Revelation chapter one, and then he speaks the words about the churches. But the next time he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he's in the throne room, and it says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Then in 58, 512 to 13, 7, 9, and 10, he sees everyone worshiping the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. And then at the very end of Revelation 22, 1 and 3, we have this image where it's the throne of God and of the lamb. Somebody said one day, the only piece of furniture in heaven is a throne. And there's not just one on it, God and the lamb. Jesus is referred to as the lamb. We have this awesome day that we anticipate when there's going to be the wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. My point is is that Jesus is seen in heaven as the Lamb, even where we see him as being king. Listen to this verse. Revelation 17.14 says, They will wage war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. He's still seen as the Lamb who is also Lord of lords and King of kings. And then in another place, it says that the Lamb, 717, that the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, what fascinates me is that the resurrected Jesus is not on the throne with the Father as Son or even referred to as Messiah. He's referred to as a Lamb. And when he sees the lamb, he's a lamb who was slain, looking as if he had been slain. You know, someone asked me one time, what's to prevent the fall from happening when Jesus returns and the new heaven and the new earth come? And I didn't know what to say. Until this moment, this thought came. And again, I just share it with you as how I got it. I can't say, Thus saith the Lord. But the fact that John sees the lamb looking as if He had been slain, my belief is is that it seems anyway that we will forever see Jesus as the Lamb who was slain, that forever and ever into and all through eternity, we will be forever reminded when we worship Him of how we got there, what it cost Him for us to be there, the demonstration of His love. Why would we ever, ever, ever want to reject Him? Why would we ever want to return to a life of sin? When before the one we worship looks as though he were a lamb who was slain. Jesus, that was his function. Now again, who knows? Maybe once we're all there, maybe the image will change. This is what John saw in Revelation. But here's my final point. We can either look at this week through the lens of the disciples. We can look at our lives like the disciples and think, Oh God, I'm your son. I'm a part of your kingdom, I'm your daughter, I'm loved, and why has this happened? How could this go so bad? Or you can look at your life situations through the lens of Jesus and go, no, this is exactly according to plan. This is exactly what the Father's doing, because yes, you are my son and daughter, and yes, you will reign with me forever and ever, and again, I will shepherd you, and no more tears, no more crying, etc. But friends, brothers and sisters, let me leave you with this, Paul's words in Romans 8. In fact, most of us ignore this part of that famous paragraph, if God is for us, who can be against us? Where he says, who can separate us from the love of Jesus? Will trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of the sword? Now listen, no, for his name's sake, we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says, but oh, by the way, no, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Or Romans 12.1, in view of his great mercy, we offer our bodies, our lives as living sacrifices. See the bottom line is folks, we need to always see our life through the life of Jesus. We are the apple of his eye. We are the sons and daughters whom he loves and has delight in. But like Jesus, our purpose primarily on the earth is for the sake of others. And sometimes that means suffering for them. That means maybe dying for them but we lose our lives. We face death. We offer ourselves up to death every day that we consider ourselves as well sheep to be slaughtered for the sake of others. We too offer our lives like lambs as living sacrifices. Brothers and sisters, I'm not there yet, but I'm asking the Lord, especially this week, as we meditate on this week, that even as he is still the lamb, worshiped as the lamb that we would remember yes he's the son yes he's the king we are sons and daughters we will reign with him but it seems to me that paul is helping us get focus that our purpose here like jesus is to surrender our lives give up our lives face death all day long and consider ourselves as sheep to be slaughtered because that's the ultimate purpose is that right now We're spending our lives for the sake of others that they might come to know Jesus and reign with us and we'll celebrate being sons and daughters and in his kingdom forever and ever when he returns. Now is not the time just as this week, Passion Week was not Jesus's time. May the Lord give us grace to live out the life of a lamb for his name's sake. Have a great Passion Week. And may God move on your heart, whatever your circumstances this week. I love you. God bless you.